We're going to get into a new series this morning uh, called The Essentials. Uh, If you've been around for any period of time, you know I I do a lot of preaching and teaching through uh, series because I just love the opportunity that it gives me to speak more in depth on things that I really can't cover in one week's time. And something that I've been kind of on my heart is this idea of being able to know what are the essential things of the Bible that I need to know. Because let's be honest, the Bible as a whole, you ever feel like it's a little overwhelming? There's, there's a whole lot in there. How can I possibly know all of it? Um, and, and I'll be honest, I don't know all of it, all right? I'm, I study and I, I, I've been studying scripture my whole life. I have a couple of degrees in theology. There are still things that you read and come across in scripture. It's like, wow, I never saw that. I never thought of that. I never realized that before. But I want to give you some essential ideas for you to kind of put into your back pocket because here's the reality of what we really want to be able to do to be able to share the Bible with other people. You know, more often than not, what I hear from people when it comes to sharing your faith is this terrifying thought. What if somebody asks me a question and I don't know the answer? Well, you'll be the biggest dummy that Jesus ever loved. I don't know. It's not the end of the world, okay? Listen, can I give you the script for what happens in that moment? I don't know. That's okay. You can say those three words, but then you got to follow it up with this. Let's find out together. Let's find out together. Maybe if we read the Bible together, or maybe we'll go talk to somebody together. Let's figure that out. It, it's immediate humility, and, and we've gotten far too into the realm of like, we just got to fake it till we make it, right? If you don't know, that's okay. But there are things I think are really important for us to understand in Scripture. And, and I want to unpack these today, but I want to give them to you right away, okay? Be, because it's going to take some time to get through them. But the beginning of, of God's Word leads us to a couple of different thoughts. Number one is this. God created perfection. We broke it, but God can still use broken people. All right? That's what I want us to look at today as far as our essential elements of faith and what we need to understand. God created perfection. We broke it, but God can still use broken people. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Because if God had to use perfect people, no church would be open anywhere. All right? So let's jump right into this. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, easiest chapter or, or in, to find in your Bible, uh, in our pew Bibles. It's page 3, I think. Uh, but, but you can turn there and just go along with us. We're going to look at this creation. What happened at creation? What did God do? So in Genesis 1, 1 and 2, it says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Now, we read that and we're like, what in the world does that even mean? Okay? Now, and I want to speak to a couple of ideas here because there are some elements of creation that are really important. I know that scientifically we're constantly looking for a way to explain the origins of earth and, and, and all of humanity without God. Okay? The, the one that has been most prevalent throughout history is known as the Big Bang. You ever hear the Big Bang? Not the TV show, the theory. Okay? The theory is the Big Bang. And here's the theory. Nothing exploded and created everything. I mean, that's literally what it is. Nothing exploded and created everything. And, and, and it fails to answer this question because, you know, not that you want to be that annoying kid. You know when you tell your kids we're going somewhere and they're like, why? And you say, because we want to see grandma. Why? Because she's our mom. Why? Because she gave birth to me. Why? You just, you get sick of asking why. Well, when you try to go a little bit further in the Big Bang Theory, here's the, re- what exploded? Who exploded it? 
Why did it suddenly happen? Like, there, there's no way to explain these things without there being a force that is moving behind them. And obviously, as, as followers of Jesus, we believe that force to be God who created all things. He spoke them into existence. But then here's some other questions that come up. Well, what about the dinosaurs? I mean, if you've ever wondered, like, well, what about the dinosaurs? Did Adam ride around on a brontosaurus? Like, what, what did that look like? Did, did Eve have a, an, I don't know any other dinosaur names, that's the only one I got, Tyrannosaurus Rex, there we go. No, listen, yeah, we, we look through history and we can see, and, and we have all kinds of different things, and I can't go too deep into this because you don't want a four-hour message, but there are things that we look at that we try to contemplate and understand, but one that we can point to in Scripture that's right here in these verses is that in the original language, in Hebrew, the, the, it says right here, that what we read in English says, the earth was formless and empty, okay? In the original Hebrew, the phrase there is tohu vabohu, which means it existed, the earth was there, but it was utterly destroyed. It was completely destroyed. Meaning, science could be definitely, I mean, we have dinosaur bones, right? I've seen them, okay? I'm not thinking anybody made those up. But here's the reality that we could be talking about an, a period of time that was long before when God created what we understand as the world today, because that world was destroyed and broken and messed up. One thing I find interesting um, is, you know, even of those who believe in the theory of evolution, I know we don't call it that anymore, but there are giant gaps in our history of what we look at, even in fossils. The biggest one, I mean, it's not a super big deal. It's only about 15 million years where we absolutely have no fossil record of anything existing. Kind of a big deal, all right? So, but God speaks, God creates. And so I want us to look at this this morning because this is the creation event, all right? And what does creation entail? How many days did it take God to create the world? Some of your six, seven, six, seven. We'll get to that, all right? The answer is six, but let's look at them, all right? Day one, God says, let there be light, and there was light. Now, think about this conundrum for a second, and you can see it on the screen. It isn't until day four that God creates the sun, okay? God says, let there be light, but it's going to be three more days before he creates the sun. So what is the light that he's speaking to? Obviously, I wasn't at creation. I wasn't there. I, you know, someday we'll understand these things a little bit better. Uh, there are some of you in here. I don't know. Maybe you were at creation. I'm not going to point at anybody. But this idea that God revealed himself suddenly to a broken world that was cut off from him. Let there be light. Let there be connection. Let there be a connection between me and the desolation of the world. And, and this is something that comes up in the Old Testament a number of times. Uh, God referring to himself as the light of the world. I will be their light. There will be no more need for sun and moon because I, you know, my presence will light the world around them. And so we see this. Then we see earth's atmosphere. All right, on day two. Then day three, the sea, the land, and the vegetation. Any of you go to the beach this summer? You're grateful for day three of creation, all right? Uh, day four, finally, the sun and the moon and the stars. If you got a sunburn, probably not a big fan of this day. I, I don't know. The sea creatures, the birds, and then on day six, the animals and human beings. Awesome event that takes place right there. You can read it in Genesis chapter one. God is speaking plurally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, let us create man in our image. There's a plural statement there that he makes. And, and it's awesome the way that God speaks and it, it just comes into being. It comes into effect. 
But then we see this a little bit later. This is the next chapter. So he does all of these things. He creates everything. Then we see Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work. Now, I wanted to hit this a little bit this morning. Again, not something I can go super in depth on because we're trying to focus on this. God created the world to be perfect. We broke it, but he still uses broken people. But we need to look at this creation event because let's argue for the sake of importance. Do we agree that God is the most important being that has ever existed? We agree on that? Yes. Okay, good. We're, we're off to a great start. Would we agree that creating the entire world and heavens and the sun, the moon, the stars, and all those other things, would we agree that that was a really important work that he did? We agree on that? Would we agree that it was good? Okay. After he's finished, God does something that he does not need to do. God was not tired. He wasn't worn out. It wasn't like it had been physically demanding or emotionally or mentally demanding to him to create, but he stops and he takes a break and rests from his work. And we see this the first time it comes, I mean, it's chapter two of your Bible where it comes up that God says, I rested from my work. And and, and can we just be honest? This is something that we have totally thrown out the window. In fact, can I just say this? I think it's real. Culturally, we hate rest. We literally do. We're like, I got to find something to do. I am bored out of my mind resting right now. Somebody says, why don't you go read a book? You're like, ah, no. How about I binge watch something on Netflix instead? We hate rest. And again, God talks about this through the Old Testament. I mean, low points in this would be that if somebody doesn't honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, they should be stoned and killed and taken out from among you. Jesus, who speaks to the Pharisees, who they're, they're calling him out because his disciples are working on the Sabbath, all right? And Jesus says, listen, the, the man was not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. I gave it as a gift, not as a law, but as a gift. And imagine God giving us this amazing gift of rest, and he sets it out in front of you, because how many of us in here wish we could get some more rest? He sets it out in front of you, and we wipe it off the table and say, I don't have time for that. We do this all the time. And listen, it's beginning to take an effect. It's having a toll on our mental, physical, and spiritual aspects of our bodies. I want to give you a few things here. I I came across a study that was talking about uh, what is stress doing to our bodies, our physical bodies, all right? Here's a few things that stress is doing to our physical bodies. Just aches and pains, right? And don't we just accept this as you just get older and you just have aches and pains, right? That's just how it is. You're you're getting older, or maybe even if you're younger, you just have aches and pains. Chest pain or the feeling like your heart is racing. Exhaustion or trouble sleeping. Have you ever had a moment where you're so tired, but you can't sleep? Isn't that annoying? And I'm like a math person, so I lay down in my bed, and it's like, all right, it's 10.01. My alarm's going off at 5.15. I've got seven hours and 14 minutes to get some solid sleep right now. All right, I close my eyes, and inevitably, one of my kids who has not learned the subtle nuance of how to open or close a door without waking up the neighborhood goes into the bathroom. I hear a door slam, and I wake up, and I jolt, and I look at my clock, 
now it's 1022. Well, if I fall asleep now, I'm only getting six hours and 51 minutes of sleep. And if I don't fall asleep immediately, it's going to go to 645 and 630. And you're just immediately running and running. This is where we get to. Headaches, dizziness, shaking, high blood pressure, muscle tension, um, stomach and digestive issues, difficulty even having sex or weak immune systems. All of these things are side effects of the constant stress that we're just like, that's just part of life. God did not make it that way. When he created perfection, he said, I actually created a space in existence for you to have rest. That's what's part of perfection, what I gave to you. That's part of what I gave to you, and you're acting like it doesn't matter. But here's why, and it's called the fall. God created perfection. We broke it, all right? Here's where it got broken, Genesis chapter three. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? The introduction of this one question unraveled belief in God's supremacy and authority over creation. Did God really say? Now, God creates everything, right? He makes Adam and Eve. He makes the garden. He makes it beautiful. It's lush. Listen, they don't even have to do laundry. That's how, that's how peaceful and wonderful it is. And he, he sets them up and he goes, you see that tree over there? Eat off of that tree. You see that bush over there? Eat off of that bush. You see those berries? I made those berries for you. I got one tree. Don't eat them off my tree. Just don't touch my tree. Is that a, just, you ever feel like that as a parent? Like you got that one thing? Like don't touch that thing. That's my thing. Don't touch my thing. All right? And what happens when you tell your kids not to touch something? Original sin enters the world. Original sin rears its ugly head, and that one thing that I told you not to touch is now the one thing that you absolutely must touch. Absolutely must. And this is when the fall enters the world because original sin entered on this premise. Did God really say, and listen, we can go back in scripture. God tells them point blank. Yes, you can eat anything. Don't touch my tree. God really said it. But Satan unraveled this idea, not by coming in and saying, listen, I know you think God is so great, but he's actually a fraud and a liar. You you shouldn't listen to him. He didn't say that at all. He walked in and just asked one question. Did God really say? And think about today, the number of places that are touched in our everyday world by that one simple question. Did God really say I must do this? Did God really say I must do that? Did God really say this matters? Did God really say that matters? This is all part of the fall. And so we watch it unravel. And here's what comes in because of the fall, the impact of the fall. Just a few things, right? First of all, blame and shame come into the world. Do you know what happens? This is amazing. This is like Marriage 101, because of the fall, this is something you probably have all experienced, and it's right now you can say it's because Adam and Eve ate from the tree that they weren't supposed to eat from. God comes up to Adam and Eve, and he looks Adam in the eye and he goes, why did you eat from my tree? Adam, being the godly saint that he is, created by the hands of God himself, and breathed into from the breath of God, points to Eve and go, she did it. It was her. That woman you gave me, she messed it up. And he threw her under the bus hard and was like, not my fault, not my fault. Now, Eve, this is the first time this has ever happened in all of creation, right? She's like, he's saying it was me. 
Well, what do I, how can I get the blame off of me? She points and goes, oh, it was the serpent. He made me do it. And in that very moment, blame shifting entered into the world. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. It's that person's fault. It's this event's fault. It's, that temp- it's not me. It's not me. It's not me. Blame and shame entered the world. The war between good and evil, God t- says right then and there, There's going to be enmity, right? A battle between my offspring and the offspring of Satan until a final point where my offspring will crush the head of the enemy. Pain and childbearing. Thanks a lot, Eve. I mean, ladies, it could have been just like, hey, I'm going to stop over at the hospital, have the baby quick, and then we're going to go grocery shopping. You know, grab a few things, head home. I'll, I'll make dinner. You know, what do you want for dinner? It could have been like that. Eve messed it up. Patriarchal dominance. God says the man will now be the the head of everything. He will be the one in charge and the woman will desire for that kind of authority but won't have it. Hard work. You're going to have to toil your entire life and then finally death. You're going to die. You're going to die because sin sin has now entered into the world. Amazingly, you know, we look at these and, and scripturally we can see where the work of the cross has fixed all of these except childbirth. So ladies, I'm sorry, I don't know why, but when we look at the shame and blame, you know, Romans tells us that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not covered in our shame and steeped in our sin anymore. We've been saved from it, right? The war between good and evil, we can see in Revelation where it says they overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. We win, all right? That, that battle's already won. Uh, the patriarchal dominance, we look at Galatians 3, it tells us that there is now therefore neither male or female, slave nor Jew, free nor, none of those things matter. We're all just children of God at this point. The hard work, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and with heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And then finally, death, when the cross is overcome, the question then becomes, death, where is your sting? Because Jesus has conquered it, it's broken. But God created something perfect, and we broke it. And there are ramifications that I want us to explore because of this, because we deal with them every day. I had uh, the opportunity this past Wednesday, I was uh, with, on a panel with Pastor Tyler and Pastor Paul, and we went in with the youth group, and they could ask us anything, okay? Just so you know, it's not always a great idea to ask a room full of teenagers to ask you just anything, all right? Well, Pastor Matt and I are going to talk about that later. It's fine. No. Great event. Uh, you know, kids ask some funny things, and I just have to share. This is the funniest one I ever experienced in all of my years of youth ministry. I did youth ministry for 10 years. I had a girl who asked me the question, is, does the Bible say that marijuana is acceptable? Okay? Not as a joke, but with absolute seriousness in her eyes, she said, I've read in Scripture where it says that some of the disciples were stoned. I am not making this up. I could hardly keep a straight face. I'm like, that's not what that means. But I will tell you this, this week when we were there on Wednesday night, there, the kids wrote down a bunch of the questions and you know a question that came up multiple times because we wrestle with it every day. If God is so good, why do bad things happen to good people? Can I get us back to this essential idea? God created perfection and we broke it. God didn't create sickness. God didn't create disease. God didn't create evil. God didn't create malice or hatred or anger or bitterness or envy. He did not create those things. 
Those things came into existence when we rebelled against God. And I say we, I know you'd love to tell yourself that if you had been in the garden and God had told you I've only got one tree and you can't touch it, you'd be like, I'd have done that differently. I wouldn't have even touched that tree, Lord. I'm telling you right now, I wouldn't have touched your tree. Yes, you would have. Yes, you would have because it's inside of us. That moment changed history. It changed the world. And even though we, we have seen Jesus overcome the, the ramifications of original sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. We've been set free from sin. We're on our way to victory because of Jesus. The impact of it on our world is still there. And church, it's so important for us to understand this essential idea in theology. God created perfection and we broke it. It's not, what's, there are things happening in the world that are not part of God's design. They were not part of his creation. He does not want innocent people to be harmed. He does not want innocent people to be sick. He, these are not the things that he created when he put the world together, but they are a part of what we experience because of the fall. God created perfection and we broke it. And there's a third part to this, and this is a really great part. God can use broken people. And this comes up immediately in Scripture right after this, okay? Genesis 12, okay? So we've gone through Genesis 1, 2, 3. We're going to jump to Genesis 12 now. We talked about a man this past summer who was the first man that God begins to speak to, and he says to him, I've got a plan for you and a redemptive work for the world through you. Anybody know who that man is? Abraham, right? Okay, here's 27 points, bonus points, if you can answer this question. How many years was it between the time when the fall took place and when Abraham was first called out by God? Any guesses? 14 years? What do you think? 14 generations. Over 2,000 years. For 2,000 plus years, this broken cycle of original sin has its way with humanity before finally God steps in into a man named Abraham and he begins to speak to him and he tells him this in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. This moment in history, in church history, is called the moment of the patriarchs. All right, the founding fathers of religion, really in a lot of cases, because Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all trace their roots back to Abraham. Now here's where they differ. In Christianity, <clears throat> we see that God speaks to Abraham. His descendants go up into the point of Jesus' birth. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, the genealogy between Abraham to Jesus. Jesus comes, he pays the ransom for the sin of the world, and we are saved because of Jesus. There's, that's Christianity. In Judaism, they do not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and they still point to the fact that there is a descendant of Abraham that someday is going to come to change the world and fix things. And in Islam, they do not look at Abraham's son Isaac as the one who was given the blessing and the promise of God. They look at his other son, whose name was Ishmael. Yes, Ishmael is the other son. But all of it traces back to this is a pivotal moment in history where God's creation that was broken is now suddenly going to be transformed and God's going to use broken people to bring about his redemptive process. 
So here's what that looks like. We've got Abraham, and then he has a son named Isaac. But let's not forget what we studied about Abraham this past summer. Abraham did a lot of dumb things, okay? He took matters into his own hands. He didn't wait when God told him to wait. He would lie to people to keep himself out of trouble. He was a flawed individual. We see his son Isaac is then born. Isaac was a flawed man as well. We don't know a whole lot about Isaac, but we can gather from what we read in Scripture, he was not a very good father. Not very close and connected with his sons. He had two sons, Jacob and Esau. These sons were embattled with one another until the point that his son Jacob eventually comes and steals his brother's birthright to then become the blessed one that God has in, in store for the promise. Now, we can read the story of Jacob and we're like, what a weasel, what a terrible thing to do. But we also have to understand that when Rebecca, their mother, was pregnant with him, God gave her a word and said, listen, you have two sons inside of you, two nations inside of you, and the older one or the, the younger one will rule the older one. This was God's plan from the beginning of time. But then Israel, right? God, he wrestles with God. Jacob, he wrestles with God and has to win this new life and even though he's doing all of these wicked and terrible things, he's having wicked things happen to him. I'm, I'm trying to recapture most of Genesis here, but uh, you know, he goes and he's like, hey, I met this young lady. I'd really like to marry her. She's a stunner. Goes and talks to her dad and says, hey, I'd like to marry your daughter. He says, if you'll work seven years for me, I will give you my daughter. Now, what he didn't know is that, that Laban had his fingers crossed behind his back because after that seven years, he goes and he gets married, and all I can assume is there must have been a whole lot of drinking at this wedding, is he wakes up the next morning and he's married to the wrong daughter. This is in your Bible. And, and here's what the Bible tells us about Leah. She had weak eyes. I don't know if that's like Bible for like, she ugly. I don't know. Just not, not, not good to look at. But... Rachel must have been so pretty, and I heard a, a comedian say this, and I think it's true, I just got to know what Rachel looked like when I get to heaven. I'm like, I need to meet Rachel, this woman who somebody worked 14 straight years to marry. He goes back and works another seven years, and he's like, don't you trick me, you don't got any other daughters, right? Don't you trick me this time, I'm not even having anything to drink. He learned right then, sober up, all right? <laughs> he gets married to Rachel, but then the brokenness just continues, these broken people. They have 12 sons. He doesn't even really care about his wife, Leah. He only cares about his wife, Rachel, and all of this brokenness. But we eventually see the 12 tribes of Israel that come out of this. And time and time again, it's the same thing. God created perfection. We broke it. And God's trying to use broken people to fix it. God's trying to use broken people to advance the kingdom, to advance the gospel, to advance this redemptive work, and it continues to go through, and the entire purpose of everything that we read in the Old Testament is this, it's going to take perfection to fix the problem. It's going to take perfection to fix it, and it's not, well, we just got to wait for the right perfect person to be born. We're all messed up. Can we just agree on that? We're all messed up. The only way perfection is going to happen is if the, that God himself comes down from heaven and saves us as that perfection. And that's exactly what we see in the New Testament. We'll get to that uh, in a couple of weeks. But we need to understand this because it's so important for us to glean from this. We live in a fallen world and God still desires to use broken people, one of which is you. And, and you know, we, we, we try to excuse ourselves from this. Well, God can't use me because I did blah, blah, blah. 
God couldn't use me. I made too many mistakes. God couldn't use me. I've got such a past of brokenness in my life. One of the things that we can glean, and this is essential as we study the Word of God, is that He does not use perfect people. He perfects them with His promises. And he, the more we learn to lean into the goodness and the sovereignty of God, the less we are tempted to try to do it on our own strength, because every time we do it on our own strength, we fail. We fall short. We mess it up. And the world loves it. Listen, nothing makes headlines quicker than for a high-profile pastor or follower of Jesus to have failed in their relationship with God, to have failed in their morality. Nothing makes headlines quicker than when someone has done that. Why? Because the world is looking for a hope that everybody's messed up. And that's part of our hope for the world too, is yes, everyone is messed up, but Jesus can change everything. God created perfection, we broke it, and he's working to fix it through broken people. He's working to fix it through broken people. And I just have to speak to that this morning, that if you're here and you've been in this place of like, well, God can't use me because of, get rid of that because that's not from God. God doesn't have people in here that he's like, well, I can use them because they're just really good. It doesn't happen. God uses us because of his faithfulness in our lives and he builds them up and encourages them. And and stop giving into this lie that I just don't know enough or I'm not smart enough or I'll never glean enough. Can I just be honest and I'll share this? I shared it in first service. I've been a follower of Jesus my entire life. I was raised in the church. I have an undergrad degree in theology and I have a master's degree in theology. I had to Google the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? I'm like, I don't know all their names. Then it gets worse. Just, I just want to show you what kind of bonehead your pastor is, okay? I Googled it, and I only wrote down 11. Miss Kathy's going over my notes to put in the bulletin for you, and she goes, um, Pastor, there's actually 12 tribes of Israel. No, she's much more, much more respectful than that. I don't ever want to give this false pretense that, wow, that guy just knows everything. That's why he can talk about Jesus. Wow, wow, wow. Listen, don't be enamored by anybody but God. Don't be enamored by anybody but God because all the rest of us are just flawed people who without the grace and mercy of God couldn't tie our shoes in the morning. We need Jesus. God created perfection, we broke it, but he's working through our brokenness to bring about his redemptive plan to save the world. That includes you. So I want to encourage you through this as we kind of go through this series of the essentials. But this is what's important for us to understand as we're building our own theology that we can glean from and that we can share is that this is what God has been doing. This is what God's going to do. And this is the part that I get to play in it. And it's not about my perfection. It's about his. And that's good enough for me. So we stand with me as we close in prayer. I want to pray over you. I want to encourage you to get into the Bible. I know that the Bible can be really daunting Trying to read the names of places and people feels like it's so far beyond us. Trying to understand some of the concepts seems so far beyond us. But I'm going to pray that as you get into the Bible, that God would just bring revelation after revelation to your mind of how he wants to speak to you and through you to a world that needs Jesus. All we have to do is say yes. That's it. You don't have to go to college. You don't have to go, you know, night classes. You don't have to memorize the entire Bible. All you have to do is say, God, here am I, send me, use me. I want to be used for your glory. And I want to pray that over you. Lord, I pray right now for every one of us in here.
those watching online, that you would just give us that reality in our hearts, God, that it is not about us. There is no person outside of Jesus who has ever existed on this planet who did so with perfection. You created perfection. We broke it. And now we're a broken people in need of a Savior. God, remind us every day that we never get to the place of thinking that we're good enough now. But let there be a desperation which settles in our hearts. And and God, would you just even speak that reality to us? That if that desperation for our Savior has, has somehow diminished, the only thing that that could mean is that we've become much more reliant on self. We need you. And so I pray that over my friends in here, God, that you would just help them to see your sufficiency your plan for their lives. Yes, you created, you have a plan, you have a work that you are doing. You're not finished yet and they are part of that process. God, I pray that you'll encourage us through these essential ideas of what it means to live for your glory. Use us, God, in ways that we can't even begin to fathom to write your redemptive plan for the world around us. And we'll give you all the glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Lord bless you. Our prayer team will be up here and love to pray for you if you need prayer this morning. Get into your Bible this week. Read the book of Genesis and just see how God might speak to you through his word. It really is alive.